All right, really privileged to have Ben Spann here today. I've been watching his work on YouTube and his knife campaign. He's also a good friend of Brian Cockrell, who was the guy Wildman looked up to when he was a young person. And um, before Wildman died last year, Brian was regularly on the phone with Wildman, giving him advice, trying to help him with his health. We were all really concerned. So huge shout out to Brian for, you know, helping Wildman um, towards the end. Yeah. And I've seen that Ben has done like a 10 question podcast with Brian. And you've got your own channel. Yeah. And Brian's got his own channel as well. Yep. So, so we're going to put all those links in the description box if people want to support their work. And Ben's logo, as you can see on the T-shirt is change your life, put down your knife. So, very important social lessons in this one. We don't like to glamorize crime. We like to give the information out, the stories out to the young people, grip them with the real-life stories of people who've been through it in the hope these kids aren't going to get gangsteritis and end up stabbing someone, and getting life sentences, because it's really sad. A lot of the guys I speak to, they say they see these youngsters coming in now just left and right, massive sentences due to knife crime. There's an absolute epidemic of it in London. It is huge. And our other campaign on the channel is to end the war on drugs and take all that money and go after the predators with it. The justice system is upside down. And what the media doesn't tell you about all these kids getting stabbed in London and these other cities, the vast majority of it revolves around young people trying to make money, trying to hustle, trying to profit from the illegal black market in drugs. End the drug market and you end all the criminality around it and all these kids wouldn't be dying left or right. So, um, fantastic work you're doing, Ben. Cheers, buddy. What set you on this mission? Uh, so... Around two years ago, I had a, a bit of a breakdown. Well, I, I had a massive breakdown. Um, I was thinking about killing myself on a on a daily basis. Um, also, I had visions of suffocating my missus while she was asleep, um, which then affected me going to sleep, just in case anything, I woke up and something had happened. I'm not saying that I was capable of doing that, but it was just the the, the mindset that I was, that I was in. Um, so the breakdown made me reevaluate my life, um, during my breakdown, I, I was helping a young lad. Uh, his name's Kieran. Uh, he was a local lad in my town. Um, and he basically had been stabbed. He was living in a crack den. And al although I was suffering and hurting, um, which I didn't realise at the time that I was actually suffering from depression, I, I was still helping Kieran. Um, taking him. And how did you first meet Kieran? Kieran was a, a young lad. that. So I've got two, two stepkids, um, Georgia and Callum. Uh, and Kieran used to play football with Callum. So as we were growing, as the kids were growing up, um, Kieran was was always the lad that turned up at football with dirty clothes or just like a teenager. Then. Yeah, just yeah. a young lad. He was, I think, he was twelve at the time. Wow. Um, ended up meet bumping into him in a pub. Um, gave him some work. I was doing garage conversions at the time, uh, and he explained the situation to me. Uh, he was due to be sentenced in Crown Court. He'd been convicted, and he, he was going for his sentencing. So what was his conviction and what age did he, did he commit this crime? Uh, so Kieran would have been about 23. This was probably around two, just over two years ago. Uh, and he was getting done for breaking a military police officer's jaw on a night out. 
in a yeah. in a takeaway, um, just to take away kebab house basically. Um, ended up pettiness. Someone looked at someone in the wrong way. A few words were exchanged, and Kieran's just turned around and cracked him one on his jaw, broke his jaw. Yeah. Um, so he was looking at getting sentenced. He was on his own. He, he didn't really have no network or support around him. So um, I've got some references made up, one from the campaign, um, a few character references from my, my wife, who's a um, manager of a care home. Kieran was doing things like mowing the lawn for us. And, you know, we were just trying to put him onto, a, onto the right track. Um, I spoke to his um, barrister at the time at the court case. And we ended up getting his, um, his sentence suspended, basically. Oh, wow. Um, as long as he adhered to certain rules over a certain period of time, yeah. um, which he, he did, um, and so that was that was the starting point of the campaign. Basically, um, before I realised that I was actually suffering with depression, um, I went over to Ireland to sort of clear my head and sort myself out. Uh, I've got a little brother that lives over there. Uh, came back, and, and that was the start of the campaign. I sort of got a sense of satisfaction out of helping Kieran. Um, he'd been stabbed three times as well. He was living in a crack den. So we, we sort of helped him with his anxiety through being stabbed, um, put him into, the, or made, went through the channels of getting him into a hostel. Um, what was the circumstances of him being stabbed? That was sitting, that was in a, he had an argument with one of his friends. Um, his friends obviously felt a bit threatened by him, turned around and, and stabbed him in his head, um, his head? in his back. Uh, and I think it was in his arm as well. So he he, he was suffering with night, nightmares and things like that. It, it, it properly affected his um, his mental health. Um, but being in them circumstances of, of selling crack in, in, in a grotty house, um, it's just he's a nice lad that was just vulnerable at the end of the day. So that was the, so that was the turning point for for me and the campaign. So yeah, and we've had Neil Woods, the ex cop, on, and he said, you know. The gangs just use these vulnerable young people to move their product and then they take advantage of the county lines and all this other stuff. Have you experienced or you, you, you've learned about all that side of it? Yeah, so, I mean, locally where we are, they tend to send the kids off with little packages, little 20 wraps. Um, they'll charge them 250 quid for it and they'll they'll make £50 out of themselves. So, um, I mean, they they could get rid of it as quickly as going to see half a dozen people, uh, and it, it could go. Then they'll go and reload again, basically. Um, so they're only ever dealing in small parcels. Um, so if they did end up getting caught, it's not a massive loss to the to the bigger fish. Um, How but, prevalent is crack in these estates? Because I think about like the crack academic in the eighties, and when I was in America, there was a lot of crack and crystal meth. But I've not like come across it in this country really. But is there, is there a lot of it going on? Behind yeah, the I'd say it's uh, the, the two go together now: heroin and crack. So they're really? it's, they're they're doing both together. Nine times out of ten, if you if you're a heroin addict, you you're also dealing in crack and smoking crack or injecting it, whichever they do. Yeah, uh, and vice versa. If if you if you, if you peripherally went to crack. Um, then they're using the heroin to come down, come down off the off the crack. So the two sort of go together nowadays. So is the fentanyl here yet? It's I've I've heard that fentanyl is is around. Um, I don't know how big it is, but it's um, it's it's definitely. I I did see a program where China or, or these countries are actually putting small amounts of fentanyl in with the the imported heroin that's coming over to obviously make it make it stronger and. Uh, more addictive and this is again war on drugs drugs get stronger every year get more dangerous every year 
get more prevalent every year. And this is all because of the laws being maintained in place by the politicians whose corporate bodies are profiting from the status quo while kids are dying tens of billions a year right now, private prison contracts. And that's just one contractor alone. There are hundreds, if not thousands, of parasitic corporations and other entities making money off the back of human suffering. And we've got to end it. We've got to get those politicians and legislators to change the laws, legalize everything, even do what they did with heroin in Portugal. They got the users halved. And society would be transformed and we wouldn't have all this knife crime and kids fighting over the illegal black market in drugs and county lines. So it's time for the people to stand up against the government and tell them this has got to be done. All right, so let, let's, um, you know, you've, you've talked about your depression and I want to get to the root causes of that. So let's go back then to what your life was like growing up. What, what was it like for you as a kid? What, and what part of the UK were you raised in? So I was born in uh, Leamington Spa, uh, a little village called Western Under Weatherly. Uh, so we were, we were country lads. So for people not familiar with where Leamington Spa is in the UK, can you just tell them? Uh, it's in the Midlands. It's just a small town outside Coventry. Outside, oh, we used to go down to the Eclipse Club, me and Wildman and Ray, yeah, yeah, Eclipse yeah. in Coventry, quite close to that. Yeah, yeah that's it. Um, so my, my upbringing was good. Uh, I came from quite a big family. I had four brothers, um, well, four including myself. I've got an older brother. I'm a twin, uh, and I had a younger brother. My parents split up when I was probably about 12. Um, both remarried, and both had an, another kid each, um, my little sister and, and a younger brother. Um, I, I, I can't remember having a bad childhood. My childhood was, was, was good. I mean, we never went without anything. Um, lived with my mom. And yeah, I mean, as far as I'm concerned, I, I had a good upbringing. And did you do okay at school? No. <laughs> <laughs> uh, school, I, I couldn't wait to leave school. I mean, I, I hated school. I, um, my GCSEs were crap. Um, I, it was the best thing leaving school for me. Um, I didn't really, I just didn't feel as if I fitted in at school, you know. I didn't think that, I, this is something that's a massive issue nowadays is the education system's outdated. It's set up for the 80, 85% of the kids that can actually sit down in a classroom and, and concentrate. Um, the other 15% of the kids, they get labelled um, either stupid, naughty, um, you know. But at the end of the day, these kids, is exactly how I fitted into this category, their way of teaching didn't fit my my way of learning, you know. Yeah. Um, and this is a problem. I've got a 15-year-old son, and this is a problem that we're having with him at the moment. He's, he's not a stupid lad. He's a clever lad. Um, he's had a good, good, good upbringing. Um, but he just doesn't fit into school, um, and it doesn't fit into that 85% that, that are, are, are absorb the information like, like, like the others. So. And what about PE then? Physical education, did you do... I done PE, yeah. yeah. Again, wasn't really uh, wasn't really my cup of tea, to be perfectly honest with you. So you weren't into sports or anything else then? Yeah, I, I like to play football um, and I like basketball as well, but never went to, was never really involved in. Um, I, I had a short attention span, so <laughs> I'd stick at something for a certain amount of time, and then I'd get fed up, fed up with it, and go on to something else. So, and did you have many friends at school? Yeah, yeah, I, I, I had quite a few friends, so I, um, I fitted in well. Um, and and that's carried on through my life growing up. Basically, I've I've always fitted in with people and got on with. I don't really have many enemies as such. Yeah. Um, I've always got on with with most people. So. Yeah. So what did you decide to do when it was time to finish school? 
Uh, so I decided that I wanted to be an electrician. Right. Um, went to college. Because I had no GCSEs, I had to carry on um, and do further key skills, which was to get the equivalent in the in um, maths, English and IT. Um, and this was when my uh, the, the cannabis came into it all. Um, I found cannabis, enjoyed it. How old were you? <laughs> Uh, I was I was sixteen when I when I probably fifteen when I started smoking it. Yeah. Um, sixteen when things started, I, I realised there was a market within my mates to uh, to start sort of pushing it towards them, um, and then sort of the the cannabis was a was a downward spiral from the age of sixteen really. So, all right. So you're on the weed. You're studying to be an electrician. Do you get a job in that field? Yeah, I, 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 had, I was an apprentice uh, for a company called NS Booth Electrical, just a local-based uh, company. Um, ended up there. I was there for two years. Um, lost my job due to selling drugs at work. Um, so I ended up getting the sack. Um, How did they find out you were doing that? One of the guys, uh, cheeky bastard, took my phone um, and read the messages on my phone. One of your colleagues? Yeah. Like a little snitch? Yeah, yeah. So I was unaware of how it all came about until a couple of weeks later. Um, but I was actually on a job, Codemasters it was in Southam, uh, and the boss come up and just was like, get your tools, you're gone, sort of thing. Um, what a little busybody. Yeah. What, what, did he not like you or something? Or did he just want to get, like, kudos from the boss? So what happened was they, they sort of... Um, figured that something was going on and I think they wanted to put a finger on what it was. I wasn't collecting my wages each week. I was building them up. Um, I, was, I was living off selling cannabis, basically, and, and making the money from that. Um, so my wage packets were were building up in the office and I'd probably collect them every, I don't know, three or four weeks or whenever I needed to. Um, so they sort of figured that something was going on. Um, uh, and I think they just wanted to put a... You know, they wanted to know what was happening, so one of them picked my phone up one day, and this was before these bloody fing fingerprints and stuff yeah. like that on the locks. Um, read my messages, and that's how it all came out, yeah. And what was his position in the firm? He was just a, an electrician. I was just his apprentice. He, oh, he was no, not a boss or anything like that. So. And did you speak to him after that, after he snitched you? Yeah, he, I, we had a few words, but... I was I was a sixteen year old kid. Well, actually, I was eighteen at the time, but I was quite small and uh, quite timid in that respect. So yeah. I just let bygones be bygones and just went my own way, sort of thing. So what did you do next? From then, I started pushing uh, selling cannabis a little bit further, basically, uh, and turned it into sort of uh, made a, um, an income out of it. Um, How did you get your customers? It just they just came sort of naturally through bumping into people. Um, started off with just my mates, so I, I realised there was a market there for my friends. They were struggling to get it, so I started selling to them, and then things just expanded and expanded basically. So ended up to the point where I was um, I was doing quite selling quite a bit. I mean, we were probably doing a kilo a week, I should imagine, which is nothing on some of the scales that were, other people were doing. But at the age of eighteen, um, to me, that was quite a, quite a big deal, you know. So how were you sourcing it? So it was it was called import at the time, um, and I was getting it through a friend of mine. Um, this import, all of a sudden, just all of it, it just dried up completely. Uh, early two thousands, and we went on to hash came back in, but it was hash where you were pulling out black bags out of it, where it was just the quality of it was so poor. Um, then then 
we did start coming back in again, but it was sprayed with glass and sand because um, there, there was a massive market there. The supply and demand was there, uh, or the demand was there. There was just no supply of it. Yeah. So they were they were spraying it with sand, um, which gave you a sore throat, and uh, but it weighed it down. So they they were they were monopolizing monopolizing on it basically. Yeah, yeah. Um, but this is when when I I realised there was a market in my electrics and the, and the drug dealing sort of thing. Uh, my instinct kicked in um, and decided to start rigging electric meters for for people that were doing crops locally. Um, so you can source it from the the grower then. That's that's how it, it went. So because because there was no import coming in, um, what was coming in was this sprayed crap basically. Um, this is what opened up the massive market to to people growing their own cannabis, uh, and it's it's just the market for it now is massive. So you're getting a, you're moving a kilo a week before the the, the growing uh, business. How much would it cost for a kilo a week back then? Uh, back then it was costing three thousand six hundred pound for a kilo. And how much would you make off that? This is the the sad thing. People think that you you make loads of money out of selling drugs, but if you used to if you used to sell it in, in ounces, you, you'd make probably twenty pound an ounce. So you you're making seven hundred pounds, seven hundred odd pound off a off a kilo. Seven hundred profit off three thousand six hundred. If you was to break it down into smaller bits, at the time it was when it, you you used to buy a three point five eighth, um, which is non-existent now. Um, so you that was making back one hundred and sixty pound on an ounce. So you'd be making sixty pound on an ounce basically. Plus, you're um, probably smoking some as well. Yeah, definitely. That was uh, your profit. Yeah, yeah. I was definitely smoking some. Scarface um, is law. And the thing is, as well, when you when you're that age and you've got bits of and you've got them that around you, you, you sort of think you're Al Capone a little bit. So you're giving it out to people, and and you, you don't realise you don't have no value for it. You know, trying to impress your mates and the yeah, women. Yeah, definitely. Yeah. All right. So people start growing it then, and you're the electrician. Yeah. So specifically. What do you have to go in and do? So I, I found a little market there for um, rigging electric meters. I wasn't just take bypassing the meter. Uh, I'd do something where I'd, I'd, we called it a dirty board. Um, so you didn't the, the electric didn't fluctuate when they when they added the the, the lights and, and stuff to it. So they still paid for the same bill. The bill was still being exactly <laughs> the same, but we added a, something called a dirty board to it, and that was the free board basically. Um, so we we um, we installed it. So I was charging six hundred pound per time I was doing one of these installations. Um, and once you built up a trust with people, um, they spoke to their mates, and then they spoke to their mates. And I found myself travelling around the country doing rigging electric meters, basically. Um, how long I, how long were you doing that for? I've probably done it for about two two years and made wow. made some good money out of it. So you were like the man in that. The, with the expertise in that yeah well I was uh, it was quite a weird I put myself in a few weird scenarios some people wanted to blindfold me and put me in the back of a van to take me to the to the crop I'd be travelling to all over the place Derby Nottingham Northampton and, and did you agree to that well yeah uh, for my own for my own peace of mind because if I if I agreed to be in the back of the van and I didn't know where this place was I could never be accused of being the one that stole it so yeah. that was always something that that niggled me in the back of my mind at first it was a bit daunting when someone's telling you to get in the back of a van and, take, and take take us through the very first time you ended up in the back of a van so the first time was uh i was going to northampton um and this guy i'd done quite a bit of work for him built up a trust with him in the end but the the first initial one that i'd done um we drove to a certain place out in the country um outside outside of northampton um 
And he stops the van and he's like, no, I want you to get in the back of the van. And I was did, did you know that was coming? No, no, I was just not. I wasn't aware of what was coming. Was it just you and him? Yeah, it was just me and him. Yeah. Okay. Um, he's like, look, I need you to get in the back of the van. I was sort of a bit taken back by it. Um, <laughs> but once once we had a chat and explained the situation, I sort of understood. And what did he say? He just said, look, at the end of the day, um, I don't want you knowing where this place is. It's one of a, a family home. Um, so it he, he was just basically peace of mind for him. But in the end, I started asking to go in the back of the van or I was asking, <laughs> I was asking to be blindfolded because I, I, it just eliminated me out of that scenario if anything ever happened. So yeah. it, was, uh, it became quite a regular thing until I built up a trust with these people. Um, yeah. Then it got to the stage where we sort of... It, it, I didn't need to do that and they trusted me and we built up that relationship. Was it a bit scary though being in the back of a band with blindfold on? Yeah, yeah, it was a... It was a it was a, Anything could happen. Like yeah, it, was a, it yeah. was a bit... The first time was really daunting. You, you just don't know what's going on, do you? You don't know where you're going, who's going to be there and all the rest of it, but... How long did it take in the back of the van and what was going through your head? Oh, I was I was in the back for about 20 minutes. Yeah. I reckon the guy was just driving around in circles, to be honest with you. But to throw you off, yeah. in case you were clocking the turn. Yeah, yeah, but I'm, I'm, not, I wasn't, I'm not too sure about that, but that's the kind of impression that I got. Um, I, I was just nervous, you know, just sat there. I was, I was a young young lad in the back of a van with how, a guy that I didn't How old were you really at this know. point of the story? I was, I was probably, again, in my mid-18s, I should imagine, 18, 19, something around that. So. All right, so 20-minute journey, you're in the back of a van, what happens when you get to the premises? That's when I went in and he sort of guided me in. So I didn't even know oh, what he guided you in still yeah, with the blindfold. Yeah, yeah, that's, that's, why, just rip it that's up. why I had the blindfold on. The blindfold was so he could guide me through there. Because I was in the back of a van, I wouldn't have been able to see anything anyway. Yeah. Um but so when I got out of the van, yeah, he could walk me into the property without me without. So he's me just like him. holding you, is yeah, he? Yeah, yeah. You like stumbling on things. Yeah, he had to he brought my tools in and stuff like that. So I I went in and uh, once I was in there, I, I felt at ease because I could see I had a job to do. I, I was just doing what I what I did basically. So, so you've got your toolbox. What have you got in, in it? Just the general electrician's tools, um, which are what? Just my pliers, cutters, screwdrivers. <laughs> <laughs> uh, you need a couple of Allen keys to when you're messing around with the uh, the mains incoming supply. Um, yeah, just just basic basic tools, little drill. And how long does it take you then to do that job? The the first one. I got them down to half a day, so I was I was earning six hundred pounds for half a day's work. Um, but the first couple that I did took a little bit longer, but um, I got I got it down to a T in the end. So I was in and out pretty pretty sharpish. So, so for them to invest six hundred quid, how much free electricity do you estimate they would get in for that? Um, a, a lot, thousands of pounds. Yeah, yeah. Over a long depends how long they were doing it for. Some people um, that I work for, they they done one crop and then moved somewhere else. Um, so these were my more regular customers. So I was going in there every sort of, every three months I was going in doing a different place for them. Some people just kept them going for, for as long as they could. Um, I even done a chip shop once. Um, they, didn't, they didn't want to pay for their, for their new fryers that were coming in and stuff like that. So yeah, there was uh, we'd done various uh, different scenarios, to be honest with you. And is it cash up front in, in that business? Yeah, yeah, cash up front, yeah. And um, do you like go back? Is it like repeat customers, or do they refer you to other houses? Yeah, it was repeat customers, um, and we got referred to other people as well, referred to friends and stuff like that. So that was uh, I, I ended up travelling all around the country doing it. It was something that it was hard to find someone that people could trust. So the fact that they could trust me to go in there um, and and vouched for by X, Y, and Z, then that was the uh, that was the, the the key thing really for. 
for me making money out of it. This so. is fascinating. What were the biggest challenges of doing that job? It's, it was quite simple to do, to be honest <laughs> with you. It wasn't, wasn't really a challenge. It was uh, it was quite straightforward. Um, I'd done one for, for ourselves, um, which was um, on an industrial unit. It cost us three grand to, to get this cable buried from A to B. Um, and we had a scenario where we got busted in one. Uh, and they had to get an extension on keeping us keeping us in this house because um, it took them six hours to find out where the electric board to isolate the supply. We'd, we'd done it that well. Oh, oh, slow down. You got busted in this one. Yeah, so we... Right, let's, let's go back sorry. to, to this, um, start how, how this, this job come about and everything. So th- yeah. the one where we got... The one where you got busted that you're talking about. Yeah, so um, I went from um, basically rigging electricity meters to creating a network of people that were cultivating cannabis, which went well with the market that I was involved in, is in selling it. So so from, from observing it then and, and being the electrician, did you then think, right, I can move up in this world now? Yeah, yeah. We could do this ourselves, yeah. me and my mates. Was it that kind of decision? Well, I bumped into an old school friend... Um, who who made the decision, or or basically we we um, reacquainted our friendship, should I say? <laughs> um, and he was quite a big big cultivator. Um, so I was doing meet, I was rigging meters for him. Um, but then we ended up basically working together. So he he turned around and said, "If you can match one of my properties," he says, "we can start working together." I had a use to him because I, he weren't paying me six hundred pound a time to to rig the electric. Any electrical work I I could do as well. So. Um, I ended up matching a property of his um, where we ended up cultivating in, in both of them. Um, the property that I found was the one that we ended up getting, um, we, we got busted in. Um, How did you find that property? So it was through, I was doing some work as an electrician for a guy um, who owned a big potato farm. <laughs> um, and it was one of his one of his farmhouses that were, that were on there. So... Um, the guy was involved. He knew what we were doing, etc. Really nice guy. He was in his seventies. Um, <laughs> lo- loved his women. He had women stashed in caravans all over the place. Bloody hell. Yeah, <laughs> Polish women, all sorts. Um, wow. Yeah, so they were. He had them in caravans, living rent free, and they were his. They were his. Uh, his harem. Yeah, his little pastime in the evenings. Good I think. So, um, he was a cracking guy. Um, I'm not too sure if he's still around now, to be honest with you, but he he was uh, he'd work all the hours. God God sends. He was he was a proper grafter, old school grafter. Yeah. Um. So I put the idea to him uh, about doing what we were doing in his property, and he agreed to it. Uh, we were just giving him a cut out of it at a time. Yeah. But this was the property where we we rigged the electric on, um, and we we hired a digger in, and we we dug the cable under the ground, um, filled it all back in got the supply into this this unit that or this this farmhouse that we were doing and uh yeah that's that's when we 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 started doing our own crops basically so this cable and what's that involve it was just digging digging the ground out running a, a chunky sized cable from from a main supply that was in a barn um and running it in into the into the property and then putting our dirty board on the end of it and did you say it cost three grand to do all that yeah well what we end we had to angle grind walls out and and re-cement it back up so you couldn't see any cabling or anything like that it was it was really well done um but we had to we wanted it to be well done because we there was people up and around that area um so we had to keep it as hidden as possible um so that 
So was it like you said it was a farm? Was it quite remote, or were people could people check things out if they were driving by? Could yeah, I think this doing? is how we ended up getting busted. I think uh, some some nosy parker ended up um, clocking on to what we we're doing and raised raised some suspicions to the police. Um, so I think that was the the reason we ended up getting the door kicked off. Had you had a run at that place of making profits, or were you just still building it up? No, we we'd had two two crops out of it. So we had um, we used to do the rooms and alternate rooms. Um, so we'd had one down out of there, which was I think about twenty two grand, uh, and then we had the other one was only two weeks off being took down before when it when we actually got busted. So we were sort of um, in the process of getting it provisionally sold um, before the police kicked the door off. So they kicked the door off whilst that we were in there. How long did it take to grow the first crop? Uh, so we used to have something called, like a sea of green setup it was. So we'd have the cuttings in one room being vegged up uh, and then we had two flowering rooms. So once they went into the flowering room, we used to do something called power plant, which was like a, classed as a stable strain. So they all grow the same level. They all grow the sort of the same, got the same genetics. Um, so they would take 10 weeks from the time that's fast, they, they isn't were it? Put into, yeah, from when they were put into flower, basically. So yeah. we'd already had the ones in veg or, or vegetative or vegetation, whatever you want to call it, um, in a centre room. And then they were just feeding the, the flowering rooms, basically. So Yeah. So the growers I knew in America were telling me about, like, heat detecting police helicopters and stories of things like that. Is that the case in this country? I believe that that's they've caught places like that. I, I, the most common thing was the electric. So the electric board would be involved, and they'll see a big fluctuation in in the uh, electric bills. So that was a common telltale sign that something was going on. And this is why when we done our meters, we we they still paid for the same bill. So they were still paying for the lights and the sockets and the cooker and everything else. But when we added the crop to it or the lighting, etc., ventilation, um, that was free. So. The, the bill stayed consistently the same, so that was that was the reason why we we sort of brought this system in into place. Um, so an amateur would just come in and jimmy it in a way, whereby it's all over the place. The, the electricity bill. Yeah, well, a lot of people just put a wire from the from the mains into the into the uh, into the meter, so they'll bypass it just with the cable going in from A to B, which means you're not paying for any electricity. Or other people would just add add the lighting and stuff on onto the their bill, so that's when it fluctuates and and you have a big increase. And that's how most growers get caught. That was the that was a telltale sign for for people growing. Yeah. Yeah. Wow. What other things were you wary of during the period of it growing? Being stolen was the was the biggest thing. Oh, the people jacking it. Yeah, so, yeah. I mean, when, when we actually got busted, we'd blocked all of our... We had one in, one way in and one way out. We'd actually um, blocked up any other entrances and, and exits up, so windows were all um, boarded up, etc. cetera. Um, Do you have, like, a bodyguard in there with Mac-10 or anything? No, no, nothing to that extreme, <laughs> mate. <laughs> um, so, yeah, had, when... Had, had any of the houses been robbed before this, the police came to this one? No, not not personally. Not we had. I hadn't been through that experience. Yeah, that's uh, good. But again, it's it's just the prevention side of it, isn't it? If you can uh, prevent it from happening, that's that's even better. Yeah. Um, I mean, a mate of mine, he used to have dogs. Um, he used to keep the different dogs in, in, in places and stuff. Vicious dogs as well. So yeah. people had different methods of, uh, of protecting their little uh, income, so... And did he? Did his dogs um, keep the robbers at bay? 
I, I personally don't know if uh, I know that one of the dogs attacked his missus and uh, oh dear. yeah, it caused her a bit of damage. So oh, oh dear. So the police have got some intel then. And what year is this when the door gets kicked in? This would have been about 2008, 2009. And how old are you in, in that period of story? I would have been mid-20s. Mid-20s. Police have got intel. They kicked the door in. Where are you when they kicked the door in? in inside the house. <laughs> who else is inside the house? Uh, there was a guy, I'm going to refer to him as Mr. X. Okay. Uh, he was the guy that sort of took me on as, as his apprentice, as he used to call it. Yeah. Um, looking back at it now, I was probably just as lucky. Um but I still learned learned the the trade of growing cannabis from him. Yeah. Um, yeah, he was in there, and we had an investor in there as well, a guy that was we were looking to expand. So we had a guy that came up from London that was going to invest thirty grand into the uh, into our business, so we could sort of create more pro- or open up more properties, basically. So you're having an investors conference. It, yeah. So we were up there showing him what what was going on in the properties, how we'd done it, the the ins and outs of it. This guy had only been up for the day from London. He'd, he'd not been been there any of the pre times prior to this. You didn't say to him that we've never been busted, you know. None of well, yeah, time. that was that was would have been one of the conversations. Was that it? We've had. You, yeah, you, you yes. told him that. <laughs> <laughs> but it was it was the strange thing is when we were actually going to the property. Um, I mean, we were going up there twice a day, and um, we saw these these cars, and they were looking a bit suspicious. So we drove round the roundabout about three times trying to sum up what was going on with these cars and yeah. uh, checking to see if anybody was in them, which we couldn't see anybody in there. Um, decided that it was safe to, to to carry on what we were doing. And we must have been in there a good hour and a half. Uh, we were swapping the rooms over, the, the plants over from one room to another. One had a bit better lighting in there than the other. So we were swapping the plants over and uh, showing the lad what how it was all working and where his money was going to be invested and what equipment was needed, etc. And uh, we, there was a knock at the door, and they, they they knocked at the door and they said police. Was it a friendly knock at first? Yeah, it was just a normal knock, and we we were yeah. like, just we we thought it was the guy that owned the place, so we were like, looked at, you, we we're like, fuck off. He's, having, he's pulling a prank. Yeah, we thought it was just someone prattling around, like like the owner. And it worked till we pulled this little curtain back. We saw the 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 badge on the stab vest, and uh, that's when we sort of realised that it was time to try and get out of there. So all the entrances and exits that we'd blocked up, yeah. we were trying to get out of. And my mate was literally trying to rip, oh, no. st- rip stud walls off. No. And uh, next thing, the door's gone through. And uh, they made us stand there for a good 20 minutes with our arms and hands up in the air. And we had to wait. Are they screaming at you at this point? Yeah, yeah. They, they were, Have you got weapons drawn? They just had batons. Uh, batons. Like flick out truncheons. Yeah. So what they, were they screaming? Uh, stay still, stand where you are. Just all that sort of nonsense. Yeah. Um, yeah, it was quite, for me, it was quite intimidating. I was sort of uh, a little bit shocked. It was the, the worst case scenario had sort of had happened. We were waiting to go out for a meal. So my, my wife now, um, she was sat waiting for me at home uh, to oh. come back to go out for some food. Um, she was oh. trying to ring us and whatever else. And it ended up that we were at the police, they took us to rugby police station. Yeah. Uh, we were in there for... For quite a while, they had to get an extension from the um, officer in charge because um, they, they, it took them six hours to isolate the electricity. So they, they had to keep us in there for a little bit longer until they could isolate the electricity. Yeah. Um, 
So, yeah. What does that even mean? Isolate the electricity? Oh, sorry. It means that they could turn turn off the supply to the to the electric to figure oh. out where 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 we stole it from. They had to make that safe before oh. the police could go into the property uh, and start taking fingerprints off everything, and and they could send their they could start their investigation if that makes sense. So, so do the police have their own electrician. They have to bring in. Yeah, to, like they, look at what you've done. Yeah, yeah. They provide their own electrician. Yeah, yeah. and he does a files a report, does he? Yeah, it's uh, it was it was quite. Um, yeah, it was quite a, a mad thing. So they they even like praised us on the electricity side. <laughs> of it. They said that's the reason why why it, or the whole thing took so long. So. Yeah, and how did that feel? <laughs> what with the praise? From well, the at, at the time, it didn't mean sod all to be honest with you, because I was sort of uh, <laughs> thinking the worst. You know, I didn't know what was going on. Did, uh, had you prior to the bust uh, looked at the sentencing guidelines for this kind of crime? Not really, no. Um, but as soon as I got out, I did. <laughs> that was the first thing that I was looking at, sir. So. Let's go back to the cell then. You're arrested. Your missus is waiting for some food. How do you notify her what's happened? I think I rang my mum from the police station. It's the only number that I could remember. Um, I couldn't remember anyone's mobile number or anything. So I rang my mum from the police station and she got in touch with, with my wife and explained the situation to her. Um I think they let us out about three o'clock in the morning or something like that. Did bail have to be posted? Yeah, so we were on bail for. Um, we kept every every couple of weeks. We had to keep going back answering bail, um, and they'd re-interview us. I think they were mainly waiting for one of us to grass each other up, um, mm. but we just we just basically said um, no comment to, to everything. Mister X, when when it was all going on and we were getting put in separate cars, made a uh, a point out of saying. No comment, no comment, no comment. So that was... Uh... Yeah, the police dragged me out of my apartment when the SWAT team came and I was yelling at my girlfriend, I'm exercising my right to remain silent, love! I'm exercising my right to remain silent, love! I'm exercising... They just grabbed me and threw me down the stairs. Yeah, yeah so that's that's what he was doing. So we ended up getting the tapes off the solicitors um, so we could listen back to each other's interviews. Um, yeah just to double check and just to make sure that no one had said anything that we, we weren't aware of to, to get a good st- cover story, basically. So so that diminished the case then because nobody cooperated. Yeah, so um, we ended up getting... It got NFA'd um, for the fact that it was all clustered circumstantial evidence. They had no fingerprints on the equipment, um, which was down to the fact that when we were misting the room, so basically spraying the rooms to create... Um, humidity in there we used to spray everything including the the tops of the fittings and everything so um they had they had no fingerprints or anything like that uh the room was registered to phil mitchell uh which was a the guy that from eastenders that we named it after <laughs> and when you spray the room then how does that work how does the spray and what is the spray and how does that get rid of fingerprints well i don't really know i was just guessing over time the fact that it's uh that there were metal light fittings the fact that you've just been spraying it continuously it just water yeah it was uh it was yeah just water yeah so it's just to create con- it's just to create a damp environment and then it will create like a um, a bit of humidity in the rooms, basically. That was the only reason we so did it. So does the evaporation process perhaps remove a fingerprint? I, I can't tell you. I don't know the answer to that. All I know is that when they when they dusted the fittings, um, it came back with with no fingerprints on there, which was a godsend for us. So how long before the raid and before the NFA? Uh, it was about nine months. Nine months. Were you sweating it? Yeah, I, I was... Uh, what was your possible sentence uh, that you found out by this time? So they estimated the crop at 52 grand. 
um, with the two rooms. Um, so I think we were looking at about four years at the time for, for what we would have been done. And uh, you'd have to serve 50%. Yeah, cultivation with intent to supply. So I'm not too sure, because there was three of us, whether they would have done this for conspiracy as well, but that wasn't a charge that was being thrown around at the time. Yeah. Um, so, yeah, it was uh, it was good. I mean, I, I resorted to um, doing charity work. I, well, I was uh, resorting to doing free work for local boxing clubs that were, well, a local boxing club was being refurbed. Um, so, so I could get a statement off them to say that I was a good character. I was doing free work for them. I was, uh, as soon as it got an FA, I sacked that bit off. And <laughs> yeah, you weren't thinking, right? This was a close call. I'm going to go on the straight and narrow. No, nah, unfortunately, not. No. Did the NFA actually give you like, a, perhaps, if I can get away with this, I can get away with anything? Attitude. It was. Uh, it was more of a. Yeah, I'm guessing it did. Yeah, we we. We thought that we'd put every, everything that we'd implemented and put into place, we thought was sort of foolproof. Um, so we carried on. What was the investor's attitude by this point? Oh, he was absolutely uh, shocked. I mean, he'd, he'd got previous for, with intent to supply. He'd been to jail for it previously. But he'd been living in London for quite a few years. Um, and the fact that he'd just come up from there and we ended up getting busted was, you couldn't have wrote it, to be honest with you. He so was he out of the loop after the bust then with you guys? That was it? He didn't want anything? Yeah, I had nothing to do with him after Close that. call. Yeah, he was let, uh, it, let it be. Yeah. Yeah. Me and Mr. X carried on carried on what we were doing, basically. And you're working with the farmer still? No, the farmer, um, he got pretty pissed off with us, to be honest with you. He, um, was he charged? No. So what he'd done, we had another place. Um, we had a bigger farmhouse up on another farm. And fair play to the guy, he, he went and emptied everything, put it all into an Arctic, all the equipment and everything got all put into the back of an Arctic and he parked the Arctic on the side of a dual carriageway uh, and he was moving it from A to B just in case that they figured out that we'd had another one on, on the other property. Uh, so he emptied everything. But um, we just invested in a thousand cuttings. So the cuttings are the, the small plants um, before they get go into the different stages. Yeah. Um, so we, we were ready to do things on a big scale. With this guy's investment as well, um, these thousand plants would have been distributed to all the different different properties that we were going to be doing. Did you have to get a new investor? No, we, we uh, scaled things down again. I think it was greed, to be honest with you. I think the fact that we, we could have just carried on with two places, um, but instead we were looking for bigger places, even even talks of an industrial unit at the time. Mm. Um, so we, we, we decided to go back to basics, um, and just operate from 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 one basically. So, but the money money talks, doesn't it? I mean, we would have been making serious money um, if we hadn't have been busted. I mean, yeah. you, you, if they estimated that one at fifty two grand, the other one was nearly twice the size of it. So, I mean, you would have been talking on an alternate rotation, hundred grand plus, yeah. which was getting split between three three of us plus the. Um, Plus the guy that owned the properties as well, he was taking a cut out of it as well. But you never got to that stage, unfortunately. So keep your day jobs, folks. Yeah, no matter yeah, how definitely. much you make, it goes in the end. And they can take everything you've made legally as well, as in my case. All right, so before that bust then, there was a story of a thief in the camp. What was that one? So we... Uh, Mr. Me, Mr. X, and uh, Mr. X's brother would spend all night... Um, trimming and, and cutting the the, the cannabis uh, ready to be sold. The next day, we had a phone call from Mr. X um, saying, basically saying that someone's been stealing. 
So straight away, I, I've rang Mr. X's brother and said, have you been stealing from from the from the, the factory? Like, And he was like, no, it's nothing to do with me. He says, I was thinking exactly the same about you. So the two of us were sort of, uh, he came and picked me up and we had a little discussion on the way over to meet him. He rang me up, he said, meet us in uh, this car park. Um, so we've turned up to this car park and Mr. X has opened his back door up of the van and he's got a lad tied up there. He pissed his pants where he'd uh, give him a beating and um, he turned around and it was it was a lad that he had, he was working for him and he's, he's got some horses basically. So it was a lad that was doing the work at the horses for him. Um, had been stealing the, the, the cannabis from us. So we weren't aware of this going on at all. Uh, and he's turned around to us, he says, fill him in, lads, he's, he's been stealing off you as well. And uh, we sort of looked at him and seen that he was uh, he was a, a shivering wreck. My mate went to raise his hand up and the, the, the lad was cowering in the corner sort of thing. So we we didn't do anything. It, he'd already had his beating. And, uh, How yeah. much had he stolen? Not too sure, the ins and outs, but we actually got it all back. Um, so the people that he gave it to, we'd actually got it all back off them. Um and still charged the lad for for what was taken, um, but we, we yeah we actually managed to get it all back. He was selling it at ridiculous prices as well, so he wasn't even getting the the street market value for it, you know. So how had he accessed it? So it was it was kept in um, it was moved from when where we were cutting it, it was moved to another place. Um, all he was doing was we we had padlocks on a on a door, but it had just normal um, Phillips screws on it. So he was undoing the screws off the hasp on the lock um, and, and and getting in that way and taking it out from there and then putting the screw in it back up again. So as much as we thought it was secure, it was it was quite a simple method for him to get it, to be honest with you. So the lesson learned that was it was uh, went somewhere more secure after that. So I take it he lost his job. He, he worked for, as far as I'm aware, about six months for free. We used to, he used to have to walk to, to work as well. And we used to drive past him beeping the horn like whilst he was working. Yeah. Wow. All right. And so you're on your, you've relaunched yourself after your bust. What happens on the relaunch? So we started off on a, on a smaller scale. Um, just went back to one property. We got a few out of there. Um, probably, I'd probably say, we were carried on. I was in and out of it then as well. So I was, um, he was always doing it. I was sort of fluctuating in and out. Sometimes I'd, I'd be involved in it. Sometimes I wouldn't sort of thing. Um, I was working in the exhibitions as well at the time as an electrician. So I was traveling around the country doing the exhibition show. So it was sort of as, as and when, um, but we had another one busted. Um, this time, none of us were in there. Um, and he rang me up, Mr. X, and he said, we've had, property's been done again the old bill are in there and uh he said can you drive past and have a look so we drove past the front of the property there was nothing there nothing going on thought it was all okay um and i knew the next door neighbor so i rang the next door neighbor up and said to her um what's what's going on next door she says oh nothing she says uh someone's in there i can hear hear mr x talking i was like right okay I knew Mr. X wasn't there because I'd been on the phone to him and he'd been telling me that something was going on. About half an hour later, she's rang me back and said, uh, actually, it's the police. They stood in the back garden having eaten a subway, so they, they'd obviously been to get some food and that's when we realised that they they were in there. Um, that's when we uh, prepped a lad, um, spent about three hours telling him the layout of the property, etc. 
and then uh, dropped him off outside the house and uh, let him uh, let him walk in there. So looking shocked. <laughs> Bless him. So did you lose that house then? Yeah, that was another one that was uh, another one that went. But if if we were to weigh up the pros on the cons of it all, we had two that were that were busted. Um, there was more pros there was than there was cons to the whole thing. So, what was your next move? Um, from there, I, I I came out of it. Then um, they basically, I came to the conclusion that if if I was to get caught in one again, um, then I'd, I'd be going to jail. That was something that I didn't want to do. You had a long term partner as well. Did you have family considerations? Yeah. So my I've been. So I met my girlfriend um, when I was 17. She was a few years older than me. I think she, I was just turning 18. She was 24. And I met her because her ex-partner, I used to sell cannabis to him. So I'd drop him a couple of ounces off on a Friday and go back and pick the money up the following Friday. That's how I sort of met her. Um, then they split up and we bumped into each other at a, a local sports club that we used to drink at and sort of operate from. Um and it's just just went on from uh, kindled a relationship with her. Um, her kids at the time were three and four, so this is the reason why I, I sort of went down the route that I did because I felt as if I had to provide for these from such a young age. I lost my job when I was just just past eighteen, uh, which was my apprentice electrician. So the the only option that I really saw for myself was to to carry on pushing selling selling the ganja. So um, and that was what sort of provided for us for for a decent amount of time so so it was motivated in good you know good um good motivation behind it family considerations and yeah paying the bills. well the thing is that's what you tell yourself at the time <laughs> now i'm older and uh and wiser and you can reflect on things it was i probably would have probably would have earned more money just doing things normally would didn't have to worry about my door being kicked off by the police or somebody else, you know, I, I didn't have to look over my shoulder all the time. And this is the mindset of kids, I think, and, and being younger, um, you look up to, you look up to the wrong people. If you if you surround yourself with pos- positive people, then you, your outcome in life is going to be more positive. If you, you surround yourself with criminals, um, the you haven't got a good a good future to be honest with you. That, that's you're very lucky you didn't end up with the missus and the kids visiting you in prison, aren't you? Yeah, definitely. I mean, I've put my missus through so much. She uh, she stuck by me for everything. I mean, I've, I've been I was a jack the lad sort of thing. I, I was unfaithful to her. I was uh, caused her loads of problems. We had cars petrol bombed outside the house. Oh, hold on, cars petrol bombed over what? That was over. So basically, there was a, an incident where we'd fell out with certain people. Who's um, we? Well, me and Mr. Mr. X. X. Yeah. And uh, there was a, a big, big little feud going. Well, I say big little, a big feud going on between the various other people in the town. And you'd fallen out with them over what? That was just over. Um, it was it was pettiness, to be honest with you. I think it, it was over a, over an outstanding debt. Um, another guy was the the guy that was. Um, overseeing the other lad that actually petrol bombed it they were they had a bit of a feud um with mr x and it just went on from there it's just tip so, for tat. so they owed x money did they yeah yeah it was just tip and for tat nonsense yeah um and then you got young egos and testosterone involved yeah yeah it was actually um the car got petrol bombed on my wife's birthday jeez um we got woke up at 
three, three, four o'clock in the morning with a next door neighbour banging on the door saying, your car's on fire, quick, get up. Um, my missus' daughter had a friend round to stay for the first time. Um, she'd just passed her driving test. She was 17 at the time. And her car was right next to the, the my van that had been petrol bombed. So we had to go out and move that. Wow. Um, I, I brought my young lad a quad bike. So that was in the back of it as well. That, that got burnt. Um, we still live at the same place now, but it's, it's still... It's got the, the outline of where the, the van was wow. burnt all the tarmac and everything. Yeah. When you saw it burning, did you know it was because of that beef with X? Yeah, yeah. Yeah. You're kind of anticipating something. To yeah. Happen. I didn't, like I said, I never really had many enemies. So um, it was, it quickly put two and two together and came up with, with what it was. So, but it, in, in my opinion, it was, it was a bit of karma as well, you know, because uh, what, in essence, what goes around comes around sort of thing. So, we were by far from angels. We we were doing things along similar lines, etc. So, the fact that it, it it become turned full circle was was just collateral collateral damage. You know, it was just part and parcel of what what we were doing. So, so I could I could see that going two ways. Then you could be like, wow, you know, these people are hitting my family now. This is getting really crazy. I need to de-escalate the situation. Or you could be like, wow, these guys are hitting my family now. I need to hit that, hit back hard at them. What what was your mindset? I uh, I left it for Mister X to deal with. To be honest with you, I right. sort of took a bit of a step back. You know, um, yeah. Mister X is he's quite a um, well known person around where we live in different and all over the place. To be honest with you, yeah. Um, so I sort of left him to deal with it to a certain degree. I, I felt as if that my family were in jeopardy and more threatened. It 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 scared the life. My lad was I think my lad was about seven. Um, he was having. He got woken up by obviously the car being on fire or the van yeah, being on fire. Yeah. Um, it, it affected my sleep for a couple of days. You know, if you hear the slightest noise outside, I was up at the window looking out, etc. So, did you feel the need to have weapons or anything? I was. Uh, I I had a knife. I used to keep a meat cleaver by my door. My kids could never open the front door. Uh, I'd always have to open the door. It was just that was the life that we were living. You know, it, although it's only cannabis, it. It's still people still want a piece of the cake, you know. Um, and we all this criminality because it's illegal. It's absolutely pathetic. None of this would have happened if we had a legal, regulated drug market. Kids getting, you know, kept away from it and just educated about the dangers of it, and adults being able to do what the hell they bloody well want to do with their own bodies. But instead, we've got all this. Yeah. Yeah, madness. That's that's what it was. It was madness. But it, I look back to it now, and it was quite. It was the whole thing was quite petty you know it was um i mean some of the feuds that we had were, were petty some of the things that we we done to people were, were petty um the thing is my my kid he's he's 15 now uh jacob and he's he's been a product of his, his environment um he used to sit there helping us count money and things like that you know and it, it he's, he's grown up now to be someone that sort of inspires to look at the wrong people um and it's quite a daunting, worrying thing, really, to see what sort of route he's going to go down. But I'm sort of I'm to blame for the situation because we were too blasé. I think a lot of a lot of parents think it's okay for their kids to grow up in these situations, witnessing different scenarios, and don't expect them to go down the same path as them. They expect them to. I did anyway. I, I do as I say, not as I do, sort of thing. Um, but in in reality. Now he's hit this age, it's it's completely different. He he's he's witnessed a lot of stuff. Um 
And, and he throws it back in my face as well. He quite openly says to me, well, what do you expect? You've done this and you've done that. What can I say to that? You can't really, can't argue with him. Uh, and this is one of the reasons why I'm on a path now to to make a difference and to show him that you can change. Um, and there is positive things out there without having to to be an arsehole, basically. So, Good. All right, so in the story, then you've brought heat to the family, literally. How long has it taken this fire to go out? Uh, so the fire brigade came. Um, there was people outside filming it on their phones. That It was making the, the, the tires exploded. Uh, it, was, it made a bit of a mess, to be honest. So all the neighbours coming out. Yeah, yeah, neighbours are out, everything. Um, it, I should imagine probably about 20-odd minutes. But the, the fire brigade... Um, put the whole thing down to being a uh, electrical fire is what they they said it was so they they're basically saying that it wasn't deliberately started it was it was caused by an electrical fire uh, so i don't know how they came to that conclusion to be honest with you but perhaps that's less uh re- stuff they have to report and file on yeah it's quite just... possibly <laughs> well the, the mad thing is i was uh probably about i don't know seven o'clock in the morning it must have been um we had the police pull up then telling us we had to get rid of the vehicle because it was causing a um an obstruction to the to the street basically and it was classed as dangerous for the for the people that lived on the street. We were just trying to come to terms with the fact of what had happened and, and you know, and then they're telling us that if we don't then this X, Y, and Z's gonna happen, that they're, they're gonna have to get it towed away and we'll be charged for it and just you just couldn't write it basically. So what's the procedure to get rid of a car like that at seven in the morning? <sighs> I, I, it was new to me, mate. So I was, <laughs> <laughs> I didn't really know what to do. Ended yeah. up getting the scrap man to come and get it. So, yeah. So that was that. I just, it's just an insurance write-off at that point. Yeah, yeah. Couldn't claim off the insurance. Well, I didn't claim off. The van was only worth five hundred quid anyway. It was wasn't it was just an Astra, Astra sort of van. So, so you and the family have been up all night. Does your missus have a word with you? Does she know about the beefs and this yeah, is, this yeah, is criminal? Yeah, she my my missus has always sort of um, kept out of everything, you know. What she didn't know was probably the, for the best sort of thing. So um, she only stepped in when she needed to step in, and that was one of the times when she sort of said, <laughs> "Look, it's uh, getting a bit close." To yeah, home. yeah, things things are getting pretty bad. So um, that's when I sort of stood back and, and noted what she was saying, and yeah. So the love of a good woman pulled you out of the lifestyle. I've been with her 19 years, you know. Um, so we got married last last January. Um, but with 19 years we've been together, so must be something good there. <laughs> Definitely. So you got married last January. Was there any, pre- uh, like, over the years, was she like, come on, <laughs> when are we going to the altar? <laughs> yeah, yeah, there was a, there was a bit of... Uh, I didn't think she she kept saying to me once she gets to a certain age she's not going to get married. I think that was a subtle uh, <laughs> hint to say, "Come on, hurry up, sort of thing." <laughs> oh, that's sweet to have, to have a nice story like that against the backdrop of the criminality. All right, so you you stopped your criminality, but then you got on the new vape juice. What what was all that about? So we were so from the proceeds of my mate always said to me that. Um, you can't go around buying fancy cars. You need to buy, spend it on certain things, holidays, jewellery, etc. So at one stage, we were going away four, five, six times a year to different places. Um, we went to New York, Turkey many times. or We went all over the place. Um, and this vape juice, so because I, I like smoking ganja, I, I've always been a smoker. 
um, there was this vape juice that came around um, and we were under the impression it contained THC and all the rest of it. But the beauty to me was I could get it through the airports um, so I could smoke it wherever I was going, basically, uh, even in the airport. You know, it was it was it was had a similar effect to, to smoking cannabis. But it turns out, and this is this is an issue now with the kids. I don't think the kids realise what they're smoking, but this is a big thing in with the the youth, the youth of today of what they're smoking. Um, I tested it, and it ended up being um, a form of pre-gabbling, pent-gabbling pen or something like that. So it's basically a um, like a painkiller, or I think it was an epilepsy epilepsy drug. I know that they use it in jails as well to get high on. Um, it was a liquid form of that. Um, which ended up being it, it messed me up basically. It doesn't do it to everyone, but it, personally, it messed messed my mental health up, and that was the reason why I ended up having a big breakdown. So, so it's got these. This is a concoction of chemicals. Is that what you're saying? Yeah, yes, yeah, pharmaceuticals, and THC. So that it's being sold and and palmed off as being um, THC content, um, but it's got no THC content in it whatsoever. It's just a sales job. It's a it's a pharmaceutical drug that that's been. It's a liquid form of some pharmaceutical drugs, basically. Again, this isn't the craziness of drug laws. The, the chemists are constantly producing stuff like this to try and outsmart drug laws. And um, this stuff would not exist. Ah, oh, go on. <laughs> it, it is bad because you've got kids nowadays that are, that are smoking it thinking that they're actually smoking cannabis or a form of, of cannabis. It's not at all, and it's messing people up. It, it sent me mad. Um, literally sent me, nearly sent me to my grave. To be honest with you, I, go, go, go over your use of it in the beginning. How long you were on it, and what led to these side effects? So, um, it started off as a thing. So I was quitting smoking cannabis, and then starting again. And I started on the vape. Um, Realised that there's got to be something out there that that contains THC that could do a similar job. Um, this stuff that we came across, um, this pharmaceutical stuff, it had no smell to it. That it came in flavors, so so to anyone else, it was just a normal vape liquid. Um, but really, it was it was getting you high. Um, started off smoking that for must have been smoking it for twelve months, I think. Um, started getting real mad suicidal thoughts, um, which just got worse and worse and worse. Um, to the point where I, I was locking myself in my house for, for days upon end. I wasn't going out. Uh, a good friend of mine used to come and knock on the door. He knew what I'd turn my phone off. I was uncontactable. I'd sit in my in my dressing gown, just sitting on the sofa, watching TV. Then I'd fall asleep, wake up, have another few puffs, watch more TV, maybe make a cup of tea. That was my routine, and that, that was that was going on for... I, I wouldn't leave the house sometimes for three, four, maybe maybe five, six, seven days. Um, just sat there festering away, basically. And were you, like, eating and not exercising? Yeah, or? no, I was, eat, I was eating. You was eating. Um, that, that's something that it did. It did, did give you the, the the kind of munchy effect, so I was definitely eating. Um, but a mate of mine knew what I was doing, and he, he'd come and bang on the door, uh, stick his head through the letterbox. He'd do whatever in, until I opened the door, basically. Because I'd sit there and ignore it. I wouldn't even open the door normally, you know. I'd just sit there and ignore it. Um, and I knew it would be him because he'd be, he'd be sticking his head through the letterbox and shouting and, and banging on the door. Yeah, so that was the... Uh, it, it didn't take long for it to go from bad to worse. Mm. Um, I'd probably say a couple of months um, where I was 
every day thinking about a different way of killing myself. Oh my goodness. Um, I didn't think I could tell anyone because I didn't think that I was, that I just thought I was a waste of space, you know, I didn't think that um, anyone would really listen or anyone was really bothered. So it was, um, yeah, it was bad. I, I ended up leaving the house one day. I went to a friend of mine's because um, he was smoking it as well. So we, we sort of used to have a little little chat and a little little vape together. And I just sat there and just burst out into tears. But it was like uncontrollable. It, it just it just happened. And um, he, he was a bit took back and I was apologising for crying and, and saying, flipping heck, I don't know what's wrong with me, sorry. And that's when we sort of realised that I needed to, to open up to my missus. So I went back, spoke to my wife, um, broke down again. And to her, it was a massive relief. She thought that I was up to no good because I was being weird, but she couldn't put a finger on why I was being weird. And she had words with you prior to this? She, I think it was causing more problems in the relationship because she thought I was probably cheating on her or something like that. Uh, I was up to no good. I was hiding things from her. So it was causing doubts in her mind of what was going on. Um, when I did actually burst out into tears and I explained the situation to her, she she actually said it's it's like a massive weight off her shoulders because now she can understand why I've been the way I've been. Um, now she can start to help me sort myself out, basically, which she did. She she's booked the next few days off work and she sat with me for a few days and um, we put a plan of action together of what I was going to do. I spoke to the doctors. Uh, doctors tried to fob me off with with more tablets um antidepressants which i refused to take i, I was i was self-medicating with with drugs myself you know I, I didn't want to go and start taking something else just to, to add into the mix um so we came to the conclusion that i was going to take myself out of the whole environment and go over to my little brothers in ireland and that's what i done i just went over there slotted into into his way of life my lad at the time was i think he was 14 and this isn't what no 14-year-old should have to go through, but if it wasn't for him being with me at the airport, um, he was the adult at the time. I I was the, I felt like the kid. I, I was having anxiety, panic attacks. He he was the one that got me through passport control, wow. got me on the aeroplane, got me to the other side. If he wasn't with me, I don't think I would have even gone to Ireland. Shout uh, out to your lad, well done. Yeah, I, I don't think I would have even gone home either, you know. That was, that was the sort of... Uh, got to that point in, in my life where... I, I just don't know what the outcome of that would have been. And that's always sort of hung over my head is in what would have happened because I, I know I wouldn't have got on the plane. Um, so at that time, he was the responsible adult and I felt like the, felt like the child, you know, yeah. it's something that no no kids should have, ever have to go through, to be honest with you. So. And what was the Irish lifestyle like? Just laid back, mate. Southern Ireland, we, we spend a lot of time over there anyway. Um, it's beautiful, isn't it? Countryside yeah. and everything. We out on the sticks. Yeah, Um can't think of where he lives now to be honest but it's um on between limerick and um oh bloody hell my mind's gone blank it's it was galway so it's sort of in between them but it was in the middle of nowhere um there's there's not a lot there um it's like getting cured by nature isn't it it's yeah like bloody meds there's not a lot there just about 20 pubs in in the, <laughs> in a 200 meter range sort of things so, um but it was during lockdown as well, so they, they were in lockdown, so all the pubs were shut. So I couldn't go and sort of substitute one thing for another. I went over there, slotted into his lifestyle, went to work with him. What's his job? He's a chef. So just tagged along with him and what he was doing. And that, that was the turning point, really. So were you working in the kitchen? No, I, I was just 
being a nuisance, to be honest with you. <laughs> Eating the food. Yeah, just, just tagging along, just sort of, uh, just just doing not a lot really, but that's what I needed. Yeah, I just needed, rest. Yeah, I needed time out um, without every the everyday stresses and everything else. I mean, one of the causes of it all was I, I had a garage business. I had a few lads working for me, um, revent, renovating garages, um, and that was going a bit tits up. Uh, so I had the stresses of that. I had the stresses, the lads that I had working for me, they were good lads, but needed babysitting. Um, so I had the stress of that as well. Then obviously this vape juice that I was taking. It was just a build-up of multiple things. I, I think when you get older as well, you build a conscience um, and things slowly creep up and bite you on the ass that you would never expected. If you'd said to me 12 months prior to this that I would have had a breakdown and I would have been suffering with depression, my answer to that would have been, is this for the weak people, blah de blah Because I was naive to it, you know. Um, I, it's just something that I never thought would 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 happen. But until it happens to you, it's a it's a massive wake up call. And and I've got a lot of respect for these people that are dealing with depression on a daily basis. You know, I'm sure there's a lot of them watching this right now. Yeah, yeah, definitely. It's it's it like you said. Until you go through it, it's you you don't understand it. You know, um, and I I quickly got to understand the ins and outs of it and and how it affects you in different ways. One day you could be fine, the next day you could be at the lowest point in your life, you know. So, how long did you spend in Ireland? I was just over there for for ten days, but it was the the, the best ten days of, of of my life. It was a turning point for me in my whole life. Um, I came back, um, and just things. I was always money orientated before. Everything was all about money, making money. Um, I came back and my my whole life out my outcome on life was completely different. My the things that were important to me was my family, um, my wife, who I caused a lot of problems over the years, and I'd never put her through any of that again. Uh, my son, um, who grew up watching me being, I wouldn't say I was an absent father. I've always been a good dad, but I've been in and out, sort of doing my own thing as I please, you know. Um, so he he became my priority. Do I think now that it's probably a little bit too late? I should have done it years ago, but um, it's, I'd say it's never too late to to try and make a difference, you know. Um, and the outcome of the biggest positive outcome of it was the, the the knife campaign that we set up. So you started out talking about the starting of the knife campaign. How long has the campaign been going now, and who have you got on board? So it's it's been going since August. Um, we set the campaign up in a lockdown um what we've achieved in in this amount of time is 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 amazing we've um we've done so much within our community and other people's communities uh, we've got some amazing people on board many guests that you've had on here trying um, to reel them off yeah so we've got terry ellis um vinnie bradish chet sandu chet brian sandu. cockerell uh chris lambriano uh we've got uh, pete um PGA golf player that's that's helped us out quite a bit. Um, Andy Sullivan. Um, the list the list is endless. Uh, to be perfectly honest, we've got um, Leroy Smith that helps us out. Um, who else have we got on board? They're 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 our main main players. Mainly Terry uh, Terry Ellis has helped me so much um, through all of this. He, Great guy. Yeah, yeah. He's he's sort of. Um, He's the voice of reason, you know. Um, and Brian as well. Brian, I've got a lot of respect for Brian. He's a top guy. He's got a heart of gold. Um, 
and Emma as well, his wife. Uh, I've spent quite a few days up there staying with them. Um, yeah, so as as a group, we're, we're we're making a big impact on the community, not not just locally where I live, but all over the place. Um, so we've a few of the initiatives that we've set up is um, we've got a, a knife crime hotline, which has basically been implemented in schools. So for the kids um, who feel as if they can't speak to their parents or they they don't want to speak to the police, then we're sort of a um, confidential midpoint for them you know we're not there to criticize or judge we're we're there to to listen um and the idea is they can tell us where concealed weapons are it's all confidential um they that we can be a signpost entity if they're having problems with issues at home or if they're having problems with drugs alcohol um we can signpost them to the right place um Obviously, there's an element of it that is involved. If they're going to tell us that X, Y, Z is going to happen and he's going to get hurt or injured, then we've got a duty of care to report that to the right people. Um, but again, it's, it's as confidential as, as as it can be. So um, we set up something called the Gear Up Scheme, which provides less fortunate kids with the, the, the funding to go to boxing clubs, football clubs, provides them with um, the equipment that they need which was was based around Kieran. Um, so when Kieran, the lad that got stabbed, mm. um, he used to turn up in boots that were too small for him, dirty, dirty football kits, etc. Sometimes no shin pads. Um, so it used to provide these kids with the the tools and the equipment to be able to attend these these sports facilities, um, even subs as well. So if they if they struggling with subs, then we'll pay for the subs for them to attend attend these um, these sports facilities. Um, yeah, we, we've done a lot. We've got ambassadors now that are based all over the the country, um, up and down, up and down the UK. So these ambassadors represent their area. Uh, again, just creating links between sports facilities, local uh, authorities, um, and it's something that we liaise with. Lockdown's been tough for everybody because no one's really been able to get out and do anything. Um, but the, what we've achieved in that amount of time, I think our Facebook page now we've got over 10,000 followers on there. Um, we're self-funded, so everything we do, it comes from via donations or we don't like just to put a GoFundMe page up without actually earning it. So uh, the admin team, Terry Ellis, uh, Ellis Vinny, um, Darren Barden, we all done a sponsored uh, run, walk, ride. So, so who, who, who could run, ran it. Um, if you could walk it, then you walked it. I, I rode it, but it was like a half marathon, so we, we raised funds through that. Um, we brought something called a bleed control kit for Leamington. So if, if you end up um, becoming a victim of knife crime, or even even if you're shot, anything with a serious wound, um, it stems the bleeding. It gives you the, gives the the ambulance time to get there. So it could only work for could save you or prolong your life for three or four minutes but it's the three or four minutes extra that it takes for the ambulance to arrive so um we've we've got that based in leamington next to the train station which is a key place for county lines in our area because it's obviously uh easy access from the bigger cities and stuff um so we've got that base base there next to the train station yeah so and the frustrating thing is always the laws isn't it and the government and did you try to become a county councillor? Yeah, so <laughs> again, this is this is the sort of mindset that I'm at. So I was that fed of with being knocked back and refused it and not being listened to by these authorities. 
that I decided that I'm going to put myself in the position and run to be ta- county councillor um, in, in my local area, <laughs> which was the Brunswick Ward. Um, although I only got 21 votes, <laughs> I've made a big impact. I'm, in my eyes, I'm still a winner because they know who I am now. You know, all of these people know who I am. Um, I, wore, I wore the campaign logo when I went there and my policies were based around um, cleaning up the parks on needles, making it a safe place for the kids to play and families to enjoy. Um, it was knife crime uh, and it was open, knife crime county lines and opening up more youth services all key major issues that are going on in in our town and every other town um, I mean we've done a, a couple of knife sweeps in the local parks um, and it was actually quite shocking to see how how many needles were within metres away from kids play areas and I, I, it's, it was actually sickening you know it's, and I mean it's this isn't just in Leamington. This is this is happening everywhere. Um, personally, I don't think enough's being done about it. So they were my policies. Um, but I, I'm, I'm still a winner in my eyes because I've managed to create a meeting now with all of these people, um, the Police Crime Commissioner locally from Warwickshire, all these different town and county councillors, um, the mayor. So, excuse me, they're starting to listen now, but... So that's only because I've stamped my feet and I've, I've put myself out there and I've made them aware of what we're doing and who we are and these issues that are out there. Um, so in my eyes, I, I only got 21 votes, but I, I've, I've made a scene, you know, and they're, and they're starting to listen now. So Next time around, you could get a lot more than that as well. Yeah, well, we're doing... We, we've just created something. It starts on the 1st of, this, this month, um, 1st of June, uh, pop-up boxing sessions. So they're free to to the kids from age 10 to 16. It's just the basics of boxing. Um, but we're doing these in different areas and different village halls and, or different community centres um, to take kids off the street and give them the chance to, to learn something different. So yeah. We're also um, partners in a boxing club. So we're, we're partners with a um, Leamington Amateur Boxing Club. Um, so we're affiliated with them. So we, we, we've achieved so much. I mean, I'm probably missing bits off, but... We, we, we've achieved a lot in such a short amount of time, you know, with limited funding as well. We're quite resourceful. We're dealing with uh, ex-bank robbers and things like that. So these guys are quite quite resourceful when it comes to uh, <laughs> coming up with ideas, et cetera. So. so what I'm sure the viewers are going to love about this story then is you're just out there in the world making changes to make it a better place for young people. You've not just come here and told us a story. I mean, you are actively could be saving lives what you're doing i'd like to think so i mean it's it's we're never going to change what's going on not without the intervention of higher people uh politicians and the police forces etc um but if we can save one life um then i think that's that's a, a job well done you know so so we're going to put all your links um in the description box below this video what social media platforms are you on and how can people contact you uh, so our main social media platform is Facebook, Change Your Life, Put Down Your Knife. Um, we're on Instagram as well. Um, so they're, they're, our main, they're our main platforms. Facebook, I'd say, is our, is our main platform that we use. We've also got a um, charity boxing event um, being set up for August the 21st, which has got a few professional boxers on there. A lad called Scott Dixon um, is fighting. Um, he's an ex ex world champion, Scottish guy, really nice guy. Um, I'm fighting on there as well, and and so's various other people. 
But the, the main element of that is we've got a massive meet and greet thing going on. So we've got the likes of the people I named earlier, Chris Lambriano, Chet Sandu, um, Charlie Richardson's wife, Ronnie Richardson, uh, Lenny McLean's daughter, um, Gary Furby, the governor, um, Norman Buckland, another governor. Um, we've we've got so many. Leroy Smith's going to be there. Uh, the list the list's endless. Um, Billy Moore's going. Um, I've been talking to Marvin Herbert. I believe that he's going to be attending. Um, yeah, so there, there's a there's there's a lot of people going, um, all showing their support. What part of the country? Coventry. And people can find information and, and get tickets to this, can they, on your socials? Yeah, so if they go onto our social media platform, we've got a page set up for it as well. It's called Fight Night Live 2021. Uh, and that just gives you all the up-to-date information of who's attending. Uh, Joe, Billy's brother, do, do you know Billy Moore? Yeah, I've worked with Billy over the years, actually. And um, read his book, it's phenomenal. Yeah, yeah, yeah. So the one I'm looking forward to meeting Joe because I've been following their story with the raising awareness for autism. Joe's yeah. Billy's brother. Yeah. Um, so I'm looking forward to meeting him. Uh, I think he's a great guy, and I think what he's doing is amazing as well. So yeah, another great mission. So I'm sure you're going to get a lot of people reaching out and contacting you on the socials. A huge thank you for coming on today. Thanks for having us. Um, is there anything you'd like to say in conclusion to the people watching? Uh, I just think um, don't be fooled by this stigma of the, your, your average person that carries a knife nowadays. Uh, I mean, um, don't be afraid to search your kids' bags and search their bedrooms. Um, you, you can't stereotype someone that's carrying a knife nowadays. It, 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 it could be anybody. Um, don't be fooled to thinking that your son's an exception just because you provide him with the latest gear, the latest phones, latest trainers. Um it's more of a, it doesn't, materialistic things don't matter nowadays with these kids. It's more of a uh, culture that they're going through. Um, yeah, just, just, just be aware and uh, stay safe. So let us know in the comments what you thought about this interview. Huge thank you to all the new subscribers. Subscription logo is in the bottom corner of the screen. And like I said earlier, all of Ben's links are going to be in the description box. All our links are down there. Huge thank you to the people who follow through on the links and support our missions. And biggest thank you of all to you, Ben, for thanks for coming in. Really appreciate it, man.